Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Knives, machetes, saws, and shears. Multi-tools, shovels, swords, axes, spears, hatchets, and tomahawks. If it cuts, snips, slices, or chops, Midway USA has it. Find great gift ideas in our huge selection of pocket knives and other everyday carry folding knives. Make a statement or create a family legacy with one of our top-of-the-line hunting knives. We've got a great selection of manual and electric sharpeners, too. For just about everything for the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. Hello and welcome to the Truth From The Stand Deer Hunting Podcast. I'm your host, Clint Campbell, and you're listening to episode number 75, brought to you by Wicked Tree Gear. Today we're cranking up another DIY report mini-series, this time with Dan Enfault, and we're discussing hunting the wind in farm country. So stay tuned. All right, all right. What is up, everyone? Happy Wednesday to you. Hope you all are doing well out there. Today, we got a cool show. Um, I'm pretty pumped up about today's show. It's a, a, a guy who is uh, very familiar to many of you, I'm sure. We have Dan Enfault, the Big Buck Serial Killer, joining us. This is his uh, second appearance on the podcast. Uh, we had him back on, I think, episode 16, if I'm remembering correctly, where we just kind of talked about hunting pressured deer and, you know, of course, what he's very well known for, which is hunting buck beds and finding buck beds and, and his scouting. Uh, but today we're taking a little bit of a different approach. We're, we're doing another installment here of the DIY Report mini-series, um, which I'm excited to do. As, as many of you probably know, this is kind of a, a mini-series where we take a, a more you know complicated or a nuanced topic and we try to break it down into very small pieces that you can kind of take away some best practices and some some ideas from that you can kind of take straight from the podcast and start to put them into into use. And so we're doing the same thing here with Dan, but what we're doing uh, is a new topic. And I kind of came up with this topic because of the different types of land that I'm hunting, you know, sp- uh, specifically this year. So typically growing up and even for the most part um, now, um, I hunt a lot of farm country, you know, family farms and stuff like that. Some public uh, public land as well. I mix in there. So I get kind of the farm country and, and hill country. And some of the farmland that I hunt is also kind of encapsulated in, in, in hill country. And so the wind plays, you know, a specific way in, in both of those instances. In some cases for me, they play similarly because of because of where the farmland is. It's it's kind of in um, some of the mountain, more mountainy kind of areas of Pennsylvania. Uh, this year, however, just as of last week, I gained access to a piece of ground that's probably, I want to say right around 50 acres-ish, might be 60 acres, um, that is a lot of swamp. And I've never hunted swamp before, so this is going to be a little bit new for me. And so I started thinking about the idea that I hunt these three kind of distinct areas, farmland, hill country, and swamps. And I know Dan is, of course, you know, an expert when it comes to hunting those three areas to the point that he's actually made DVDs about all these things. Um, and thought it'd be cool to kind of have him come on and talk about how you hunt the wind and what the wind does and what you kind of have to be aware of in each one of those different um, applications. 
And so today what we're doing is we're talking, we're going to start off with, uh, with farm country. Um, as many of you probably know, you know, Dan is uh, great at kind of describing, um, you know, what he's seen in the woods and he's always uh, willing to share his information and this is no, no different here. Uh, the one thing I will mention here at the top though, is I want to make a quick mention about it is he does have uh, you know, cause he does have a, a new product that's coming out. And I want to make sure to mention this uh, before I forget, he's got some sticks coming out, some climbing sticks that are super light. I want to say they're right around two pounds. Um, they're made kind of for the mobile hunter. Uh, you can find out more information on the hunting beast about them, the hunting beast forum, uh, the hunting And of course the hunting beast Facebook page. So if you're interested in that, you can go ahead and check those out. I'm not sure when they're released. And I want to say, I thought it was August 10th, uh, but I might be mistaken. So just be on the lookout for that. And before we get Dan on the line here, let's take a quick second to talk about our partners that continue to help us make this podcast possible. First and foremost, we are brought to you by Wicked Tree Gear, the longest, lastest, fastest cutting, toughest tree trimming equipment you have ever used. Simply put, the toughest saws on earth. How tough are they? Tough enough to come with a lifetime warranty. And right now, when you visit wickedtreegear.com, use the promo code TRUTH at checkout and you will save yourself 20% discount on your Wicked purchase. We're also brought to you by Exodus Outdoor Gear. The Trek camera comes in at $145 price point, has the same proprietary shell design as the Lift Series camera, same five-year warranty and unmatched customer service policies, photo, video, time-lapse, and hybrid modes, all with a single-line backlit LED display. You also get about 20,000 images on one set of lithium batteries, and if you'd like to learn more about the Exodus trail cameras, Check them out at exodusoutdoorgear.com. And if you like what you see, save yourself $20 and use the promo code TRUTH at checkout. We're also brought to you by Tecamani Seed. I actually just put some of this in the ground yesterday because I got a little break in the rain. I used the Tecamani uh, Wicked Greens. And everything is bigger in Texas. Uh, no matter if you're in the south, midwest, or northeast, Tecamani has your food plot needs covered. Visit techamani.com and check out their product selector tool to help pick the right seed for your food plots. Use the promo code TRUTH at checkout and save 20%. Last but not least, while I was doing all my food plot work, sweating like a beast in the sun, I was using my glacier cooler to keep my water nice and chilled. Glacier coolers, simply the world's finest. Whether you're hunting, camping, or fishing, you'll enjoy smarter design, stronger construction, and superior insulation of glacier coolers. Visit them at glaciercoolers.com, promo code TRUTH. Save yourself 20%. And now let's get Dan on the line. All right, folks, we are live and welcome back to another episode of the Truth from the Stand Deer Hunting Podcast. And today I'm pretty excited to bring to you another installment of the DIY Report mini series. You know, in the past we've covered everything from habitat management, bow tuning and setups technique and uh and buying hunting property. And today I have an awesome guest. Um, it's a guy I'm sure nearly all of you know, if not every one of you, um, is Dan Enfault. And we're going to be talking about hunting the wind in a variety of types of terrain and habitat. And that will be the, the, the consistency of our uh, mini series here. And we're planning to do three parts. But first and foremost, Dan, how you doing, buddy? Hey, how you doing? I'm doing all right, man. I'm hanging. I'm hanging in there. I know we were talking a little bit before we started recording. It's uh, this time of year is no rest for the wicked. It's time to uh, get cranking and uh, no time to slow down, right? Right. <laughs> so we'll go ahead. Sleeps kind- for weak-minded people that need that sort of thing. <laughs> I know. I hear. I hear that, man. It's uh, if that's the case, man, then I am one tough sob because I don't get a whole lot, <laughs> a whole lot of it right now. 
Um, yeah. But uh, we'll go ahead and jump into it, man. So first, you know, thanks for coming on and, and doing this. And I know I'd mentioned when we were kind of talking a little bit before we started recording that I had this idea of wanting to do a mini series around, you know, hunting the wind and the different types of terrain. It really spawned from the the idea that there's a bunch of different types of land that I hunt now, whether it's I'm hunting the eastern part of PA or going to Ohio or, you know, some of the western family properties that we have. They're all kind of different. And, uh, and the wind seems to kind of, I need to kind of hunt each one of them differently, you know, especially kind of pertaining to the wind. And so when I started thinking about it, you know, you were the first person that popped into my mind where it's like, if I'm going to talk wind with somebody who knows their stuff and hunts all these different types of terrain um, on not managed properties, um, then you'd be the perfect person to have on. And, and kind of how I wanted to start was I wanted to ask you a two part question to kind of open, you know, and it might seem, I guess, elementary to a, a, a lot of folks, but you know, you hear different guys talk about different approaches to setting up to hunting, you know, different types of wind. Some guys will want to set up to, you know, with the wind in their face, they'll want to kind of hunt a crosswind or whatever the case might be. You know, I want to, I want to know, I guess, what is the first thing you consider when you start to dissect how wind might play on a piece of property? Uh, this seems like two different questions. Yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> but, uh, how, how I dissected on a property, um, uh, is based a lot on the terrain. Um, what the thermal wind's going to do, what the actual wind's going to do, what it's going to do when it hits uh, breaks in the property and stuff like that. I take all that into consideration when I set out. Okay. And so I guess let's talk a little bit about the the terrain for a second. I guess, is that like your main, when you're thinking about a, you know, you're walking onto, let's say it's, it's we're talking farm country in, in this section, you're walking onto a piece of property, you know, is, is terrain really like the main thing that you're focusing on when you walk onto a piece of farm country of, and kind of determining how the wind's going to play, where the blocks of timber are, where the open areas are? Uh, no. The first thing I'm concerned is whether they bed um, and how the wind plays into that. I mean, wind's critical, especially on farm country. Um, but if you don't know where they're bedded on farm country, you're in trouble. Right. Um, most people think that bucks bed in the middle of woodlots and, and some do, but, uh, mature bucks when I find them in farm country are usually, and I mean, probably more than 95% of them, not in the big woodlots. If they are in the woodlots, they're on the very edge of them. And what they do in farm country that people don't get is they use that wind to back and they watch downwind. So they'll be smelling the whole woodlot behind them or whatever's behind them and watching an opening and they set up a lot to watch the one axis because most people that go on farms always go in the same way mm-hmm. and you know when i go scout farms for people the majority of the big bucks i find the bug buck side is right around the axis watching it and that's not a coincidence mm-hmm. so you got to take that into consideration that's easy to do based on the wind because the wind's going to be to their back so I'm considering where that buck's going to be based on the wind before I even enter that property. Huh. Interesting. Okay. I know you're more into the setups, but if you don't have that basic to it, right? Yeah. No. And the I think, rest of it don't make sense. Right. No. I think that makes sense. And I think let's assume you know that we're that we've you know that we've found bedding, just kind of how you explained. Um, you know, what are I guess when you're walking on, so you're kind of you're kind of understanding what the wind's doing and, and how a buck might be, you know, where they might be bedded before you kind of determine anything, right? And it, and and how the wind's going to play on that property, if I'm hearing you correctly, is going to kind of help dictate where you might look for buck beds. Let's just say for for example, um, right? And, and let's take one thing into consideration. I mean, if you're walking into a property like most people want to, with the wind in your face, 
if you know bucks bet on the edge, the mature bucks bet on the edge watching the opening, you're walking right into their trap. You're walking into the wind and they're on that edge in front of you looking down. And the same goes into if you get the wind to your back and you walk into the back of that woodlot, he's going to smell you. So you have to come in from a side view, you know, from a side where he's not watching and he's not smelling. Right. Yeah, that's that's interesting because it's <laughs> – I see how you say now that – you because know, I would think that farm country would be a little – a little easier. I think that's what most people would probably think, right? It, it's like, or you know, probably the incorrect common knowledge would be, it's a little easier to get on them because it, it's they they might be a little more. I don't want to say tame, but a little less on edge, right? Because farm country, it's not public. It maybe isn't quite as high high pressure, and so they probably drop their guard a little bit. And they're as to your point, they're walking in on that in that open area, right? And they're thinking, mm-hmm. you know, the bucks are bedded further in, as you pointed out, or I'm going to walk in the backside but their wind is blowing right to them at that point. So I, I guess, you know, what, what are some, some variables that you'll look for in terms of trying to gain a wind advantage? I know the one thing you were talking about is access right there. I've kind of accessing on that crosswind. So that's like the mm-hmm. one variable of like trying to get, get a, a leg up on the deer. What are a couple other things you kind of look for whenever you're trying to get a leg up on and using the wind to your advantage in those situations? Well, I, I'm always considering where I believe the deer are bedded or the buck, the target buck is bedded. So I'm using the, the wind and vision as my two biggest obstacles in farm country for getting in there. So I'm going to come in in a way that I can't be seen, that I can't be smelled, which is usually from a side. Um, it's hard on one-axis properties, um, but you can wait till you have the right wind. You know, Right. So with that, kind of playing on that access idea, you know, in, in some pieces of farm ground, it's the access is a little easier than others, especially if they've got crops up still, corn or what, you know, standing corn or what have you, that, you know, will provide a little bit of a screen for you. But, you know, what are, I guess, some of your kind of <laughs> Dan Enfault uh, tricks and tips for accessing farm country, especially when the crops come off and you've got a lot more kind of open land to uh, open land to kind of navigate? Well, I'd rather go in with wind to the back, but have it just off of the bedding. So to one side or the other. You know, so, so like if you, you think you're going in wind to back and you're heading straight towards bedding, it's not going to be blowing straight at the bedding. It's either going to be going a little to the left or a little to the right, and that's the way I'm going to hook in. It's the way it's going downwind. Um, but I want that wind blowing towards them because what they do is they bed on that field edge with the wind to their back watching the field when the wind's to their back. But when the wind's blowing towards the woods, they're either on the other tree line on the backside or they're at the first transition in, smelling where you were. So I'm trying to come in on the sides. Um, and just really take into mind where they're going to be instead of just haphazard going out there and, and uh, jumping in the same stands over a food plot or, or, or something like that and uh, giving them the edge. Right. Yeah, so it's... <laughs> It's funny, man, because it sounds like I'm, I'm thinking about some of the farms that I've hunted in the past, and I'm going, man, did I screw up those hunts? <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's a whole world of difference. I mean, you, you know, for me in farm country, and I'm sure you know this because I know you follow the, the beast, right. but I sit back a lot and just watch and don't go in there and hunt until, you know, something shows up and I see how it's bedding, I see how it's moving, and then I go in there. And a lot of times they're not exactly where I think they're going to be. But they usually are on like a tree line or some brush pile or something. And you're thinking, holy cow, mm-hmm. how would I ever have gotten in here without knowing that? Right. And then I'm looking for them like, a lot of times when they get up on the edge of that field because they got the wind to their back, 
they got to get far enough away from that edge that you can kill them. Right. And they don't always do that. And sometimes it's a waiting game. And I see a lot has to do with the moon phase and how far to get. And a lot of it has to do with, you know, cold fronts and things like that. And getting them to go far enough where you can get them into shooting range of some place where you can get to, whether it's because it's hidden by a hill or there's some trees blocking a view or, or something, is the ticket. And I'll just sit back and wait. Yes. it's uh... This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots as well as free returns and exchanges and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. As you're talking, it's like I'm thinking about a couple of things that I've seen either in, you know, the past seasons where I've hunted, you know, farm country or even just recently, you know, my dad picked up a property in, you know, Western PA, um, you know, kind of a smaller parcel. And, and I was there doing a little bit of, you know, work on it this past uh, or I guess two weekends ago. And there was a buck that was bedded on the edge of a wood line right next to a road that kind of divided our wood lot from like the neighboring neighboring wood lot. And what you're kind of describing is is exactly how I would have blown up a hunt <laughs> this this fall because my plan, you know, in all, in all truthfulness, I have a, a fence line, that, an old, you know, uh, barbed wire fence line. that just kind of run down. Right. But they're still traveling it. And I've, I've had, you know, cameras on it and watched them travel it. And there's a apple tree that kind of sits out at the end of that food uh, out, out the end of that fence line. And so I've had good deer on camera in there. And so I was like, you know what? I was like, this would be a great spot to hunt. I was like, but I'm not going to walk up. This, there's a power line that kind of runs near there. And I was like, I'm not going to walk up the power line because I feel like the deer are moving kind of north and south on the property. It's like, what I'm going to do is I'm going to walk that road as I'm going to, and I'm going to perpendicular right into my stand, right? <laughs> but where did I find that deer bedded? Basically where I would perp- perpendicular in at my stand. <laughs> right. You know what I mean? So yep. you, I would have, uh, I would have kind of screwed myself from the, uh, uh, from the jump. So this is one question I kind of was, was thinking about, right? Cause people would assume farm country is less pressured than, 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 than public, mm-hmm. you know, in, in general. Um, do you feel like when you're hunting farm country, do you feel like you can hunt a more iffy wind in those scenarios and, and get away with a little bit more considering that there might be, or in theory, there should be less pressure? You know, uh, to a point, um, I think mature bucks or mature bucks are pretty smart. Right. But I do think that, uh, when you get into more of the managed land, mm-hmm. like I've hunted ranches where there's only one guy hunting 800 acres and he's not shooting anything else. It's Boone and Crockett. Mm-hmm. And you get into places like that. And I got 150 inch bucks walking by me, like, like a year and a half old ones do on, on public and acting the same. And it's like, uh, I don't know if it's 
the theory that stupid dies right. you know, on public <laughs> land. If you're if you're not an intelligent animal, you're, you're going to die. And then the smart ones are the ones breeding. I don't know if that's what it is, or or if it's just that they don't have the experiences that the public land ones do. But right. they do make a lot more mistakes. Right. But still, when you start getting into that age group of you know five years old or older, mm-hmm. no matter where you're hunting those deer, those are intelligent deer. And they got that big by being smart and, and learning the area they live in. Right. And then and playing the wind to their to their advantage. You know what I mean? Like whether right. it's war, you know moving with the wind to their back or wind in their face, whatever whatever it is. And, I, and I'm sure because I know I hear people talk about that, right? It's, they, they saw a hammer <laughs> buck come in with the wind to his back. You know what I mean? Or they you mm-hmm. know or guys will swear they only come in with the wind you know the wind in their nose. You know, I, I would think that that's based on you know, what that deer has experienced in the past and what gives him the best opportunity to kind of sense danger based on how the wind, whether it's consistent or not in that area, and then also kind of dependent on what the thermals are doing, you know, with that wind condition yeah. as well. You know, I see some movement in, in relation to to wind and thermals, mm-hmm. um, but not as much as what some people portray it as. Like uh, the lowest area in a field is where the mature bucks usually pop out. And a lot of people think that's because they're hidden there, you know, like hidden from the road or whatever, just the, the lower area on there. But what it really is, is if you go out there in that field at the time frame that that buck pops out in that field and the thermals are starting to drop, you drop milkweed anywhere around that field and it's going to go right to that spot where that buck pops out. Right. Yeah. It's, it's a the thermal drop. Yeah. So there's something to that, but that's because he's walking into an area he suspects danger, an open area. Right. It's just like uh, when you get a tree stand, it's in a great spot. And uh, you get some guy that camps there because every year he gets his buck there. I love that because I, you, you go <laughs> 70 to 100 yards downwind in the first heavy cover, and there's the you know heavy trail where the mature bucks are skirting around this guy to the right. downwind side. Right. Um, so to use the wind, but... I, I got to kind of chuckle every time I hear somebody say they always see them walking across when or they always see them tell the uh, wind to tail and that's the only way they travel in daylight because that's all bull. Right. Um, they're seeing that because they believe that and that's what they're setting up for. You know what I mean? So I'm hunting bucks, how they come out of bedding. So I'm seeing no regard to the wind at all. I see just as many walking wind to the face as wind to the tail as wind to the side. Mm-hmm. because I'm setting up on all those winds. And I'm just making sure that that wind ain't hitting that deer's nose. Right. That's all I'm doing. I'm getting on the trail he wants to go on. That's a little different in the morning. In the morning, they're using the wind to go into the beds because they want to smell for the danger. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like circling that tree stand. They want to make sure that, you know, they're safe. So when they go into a bed, they go downwind of it and smell the whole area before they go into it. That's what makes that beast hunting hard is because the wind changes every day, you know, for mornings, because that wind changes every day. So then try to predict exactly how he's going to come in from downwind. You know, but when he leaves in the evening, it's pretty much no regard to the wind. Yeah, that's interesting. I think guys probably, too, are kind of misreading the wind, too, thinking that, they're they're feeling the wind where they're at saying that is the deer's tailwind right mm-hmm. but you know i definitely you know one thing that i know from you know listening to you and a bunch of times that you've kind of talked about wind is just when you're dropping that milkweed it might be in your face where you're sitting but if you watch that milkweed catch the air current 
and go to where the deer is, it might be doing something completely different there. Right. So right. Where, where you're watching and, the and deer. Especially in, in like farmland or hill country, that wind varies all over that property. A hundred yards from where you're at, it might be a 45 degree angle different. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's because of openings or because of hills, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. So I'm curious now, you know, I, I want to get an example from you, right? So um, we're, 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 of course, in, in farm country, and we're thinking of setting stand locations now at this point. You know, what are, I guess, some go-to, you know, and I know you're hunting, you're getting on beds and you're trying to figure out, you know, where those, where those deer are bed, and that's really what you're want, planning to set up on. But, you know, are there specific areas that you found in farm country that have kind of played out better than others, especially when you kind of take into consideration trying to make sure that you're you're playing the wind right. Uh, I don't know. I, I think every situation is different and has to be evaluated. Um, I can think of a few of my really good uh, setups in, in farm country have been where they you know come out of bedding and stage towards food to come in from a cross side and get to an old tree line or something and be able to slip up a tree. At very low off the ground to just shoot over the low bushes mm-hmm. um, from that crosswind where, you know, they're watching downwind. If you entered that field, um, you couldn't get in there, but you get in from the side. Um, that's been real good for me. Um, the trouble is a lot of times they're, they're just at the edge of your range, <laughs> you know, because when you got a, you know, a wind advantage from one way and a sight advantage from the other, it's really hard to get inside that window. So I'm trying to come in from the cross sides all the time. Right, right. Which which entails sometimes taking the uh, the long way around to uh, to get in and hunt Correct. them as well. You know. Correct. So, um, so now that we've kind of covered you know all these you know various topics. Are, is there anything that you feel is just like super super important for considering hunting the wind in farm country specifically that we haven't kind of kind of touched on at, the, at this point is there like the the one thing like if you're going to do one thing or remember one thing about hunting the wind in farm country it's it's this thing uh we kind of touched on it but the really the one thing you have to consider is why they bed in a certain position and where they would be bedded that day before you enter that woods you can't just take that same trail from your truck to your stands every day and expect those bucks not to figure that out you gotta remember a buck that's five or six years old it's been on the farm. It's a whole different animal than the rest of the deer on that farm. So that buck has been living on that farm for four or five years or three or four years. And he, he didn't live there that long without figuring you out and figuring out your system. So you got to keep changing it up. Um, you know, moving around a lot, coming in from different ways and such. Um, and the other thing is, is that a lot of guys get lulled into thinking they're doing things right because, um, when you're in farm country, I mean, that's where the food is. That's where deer grow in heavy numbers. Uh, you know, you have lots of deer around. They come from a long distance to get to the crops and stuff. And you see a lot of deer. So you think you're doing things right. But you really got to judge it on whether or not you're seeing target bucks, if that's if that's your goal. And you got to hunt them like it's a whole different animal. And if you're not seeing those bucks, you're doing something wrong and they've got you pegged. Because they're the ones that aren't making the mistakes when they're setting out. They're the ones that are bedding up, bedding perfect and stuff. When you find that bed in the middle of the woods that, well, I could get next to this one, that's not a mature buck. When you look at a mature buck's bed, you're like, holy crap, how would I ever get close to this thing? Especially <laughs> in farm country. Right. That's how they set up. I mean, it's the wow factor when you actually look at their beds that, like, wow, how do I even get close to this thing? 
and and really you got to learn that property really well and learn how to get in and out of it from different ways and use other hunters to your advantage if, if they're going in and doing the same things over and over again i guarantee you the deer are patterning that and all you have to do is find that little missing uh area that they're not focusing on right yeah, so I, I thought that, that was the, going to be the, be my last question for this section, but as you were talking, I thought of one other thing. It's just the other part, you know, and correct me if I'm wrong, you know, this is more of a question. I'm going to phrase it as a statement, but, like, I would think that the other challenge, too, is, is that when you're in farm country, you're kind of condensing the deer, right, into certain pockets, right, especially if you're in the Midwest because it's, you know, huge agricultural, you know, uh, ag, uh, ag fields with, like, blocks of timber, right, where the deer kind of mm-hmm. have to live. So they don't get a chance really to spread out, right? And so you also have to kind of take into consideration not just where that buck's bedding, I think, right? It's also where are the does bedding because they're probably not bedding too awful far away. And are and are you going to be blown up by your entrance based on where they're at too? Is that is that is there any truth to that? Yeah, there's there's uh, there's some truth to that. I mean, and when you get to heavy deer numbers, that's for sure there's some truth to that. Um, however. Um, I've never let that stop me from going in and uh, and going after a buck. I mean, if I kick those up, I hope they don't run by the buck and spook them. Um, we call those satellite deer um, that bed around the main bedding area. And I've had uh, those does or small bucks run right through the bedding area, and you think, oh, crap, and you set up anyways, and the buck gets up before dark and comes by you anyways. Uh, I've had it happen several times, but I've also had it where they run through there and you see the target buck get up and run with them. Right. So, you know, it's not something you want to do, but it's not the worst thing in the world. There's some ways to combat that. And, uh, the main way to combat that I think is to get in there really early in the day. If you think you're going to kick other deer. And the reason for that is, is those bucks are sleeping and they're a lot more lethargic in the middle of the day. And they're a lot, you know, they're not already starting to get up or sitting in their bed alert um, or munching on the brush or their bed. They're actually kind of lethargic. So someone buys them and they're like, well, what was that? You know, and they, they have more of a tendency, in my opinion, and by my observations, to stay put in that bed if they're spooked a little bit during the middle of the day. And now they got a lot more time to calm down and just forget about it. Right. Right. Yeah, you know, that's a good point. You know, you're kind of catching up at their most uh, most relaxed point of the day. They're in their 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 you know bedding area, which they're super comfortable in. And to your point, they're kind of lazed out, very similar to how I am in the uh, at, at night when my daughter comes and tells me there's something scary outside her window, and I'm kind of half out of it. Same thing. Not really interested in moving. Hope she's able to combat it herself. Right. right right. awesome man well i think that kind of covers it for uh for uh farm country man i it's one of those things where i've been kind of thinking a lot about just because there's some farms that i do hunt and want to get your perspective on it um so i do appreciate you taking some time to talk about it and uh i'm looking forward to doing part two sounds good all right folks it's a wrap for today's show i'd like to thank dan for joining be sure to visit his website thehuntingbeast.com it's literally like having access to a bunch of professors or a master's class in deer hunting from just about anywhere in the U.S. There's dudes from all over the country that are part of that group, and you'll, you'll be hard-pressed to find a group of more experienced and more uh, or guys who are more willing to share uh, the information that they've gained over the course of the over the course of their hunting career. Also, be sure to join the Hunting Beast Facebook group as well. It's another great place to connect with some hardcore hunters. Uh, Dan is also releasing his own climbing sticks if you haven't already been. 
uh, made aware they, these are specifically geared toward the mobile hunter and you can find out more about these on the hunting beast and the facebook group as well i'll place all the links in the blog post show notes and we'd of course like to thank all of you for listening and if you haven't yet please head over to itunes and leave us a five-star rating and be sure to subscribe to the podcast we'd be super appreciative if you'd be able to do those two things for us and before we shut this thing down we need to give a big shout out to our partners that continue to help us make this podcast possible wicked tree gear exodus outdoor gear trophy ridge ozonics obsession bows Tecamani Seed, Glacier Coolers, Ramcat Broadheads, Trophy Taker Rests, and Dead Downwind. And until next time, we'll see y'all. All right, gang, the new Truth merch is in stock at truthfromthestand.com and on YouTube below any of the Truth From The Stand videos. I've got some new hats, beanies, t-shirts, long-sleeve t-shirts, and sweatshirts. There's even a new do-hard-shit hat for those of us who like to embrace micro-dosing adversity. So head to truthfromthestand.com and check out the new gear and use the code TRUTH, T-R-U-T-H, and save yourself some cash on the new gear.